From Salvation Day by Callie Wallace I knew what it felt like to turn toward the stars because it was easier to gaze into unknowable darkness than to look at the painful wreckage of the life that surrounds you. I knew what it meant to take the knot of hopes and hurts and fears from inside and hurl it into deep space, across voids and galaxies, through dust and light. This is Gothic. The Gothic Podcast is a horror and humor actual play audio drama. As such, it contains material, including our jokes, that may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hey there, Sojourners, and welcome to the dark. We once again join our characters in space, one set on the planet of Trakai, there where multiple layers of the planet overlap one another in great bands of stone and landscape. Another set are on board the salvage vessel Pescado Malo, having traveled through space but stopped to pick up a cryo chamber in a place where they shouldn't have been. And three other characters embroiled in their own plots on board the space station called Wednesday. And that's where we're going to take up this evening. Hey, everybody. Hello. Hello. And hello. So it's Wednesday station. When last we were on Wednesday station, it's been a couple of episodes. Our focus characters, as we noted uh, before we started recording, uh, the saviors of the universe, uh, perhaps being two old women and a kid, <laughs> Maisie, Jules, and Axel. And Axel has gotten himself into a, into a bit of a tight bind. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like that Axel boy got himself in a heap of trouble. <laughs> Wonder how he's going to get out of this one. <laughs> Axel found, finds himself in the Central East Passageways, the Dark Passageways. So named because the electrical systems there are spotty at best. Passageways in one of the great central spokes that goes out from the massive central domed section of Wednesday Station out to one of the four rings that are continually spinning. All the sections, of course, except for the easternmost ring, which hasn't been spinning for quite some time. It is laboratories and old rooms from before the decommissioning of Wednesday Station as a science station and becoming more of a way station for travelers. And down those corridors, the kids like to play. And yet another of Wednesday Station's children has gone missing. Aaron. Axel has gone down to those sections to look for his missing friend. And 
others may be headed that way. So let's pick up on Wednesday Station, Axel having just found the handprint that led him into a maintenance shaft, a maintenance shaft running parallel to the primary spoke that goes out to the east ring. There is the sound of sparking electrical wiring. There's the hiss of steam in these passages, even though they are not fully operational. But the lights are dim at best. Uh, The maintenance shaft is dark and shadowed. Even the sparking of the lights or the electrical systems is little more than creating a sporadic strobing. Axel, you have found another smear of blood on the wall. What are you doing? Uh, Axel is totally following the smear. Um, Just tracing this as far as he feels safe in going. Well, how far do you think that's going to be? Axel's actually a pretty brave kid, so he's going to keep going. Okay. Axel begins to move away from the entrance to the maintenance shaft, moving further into the dark. Uh, but even even Axel, child-sized as he is, has to duck a bit here in this tunnel. This is not a a large space. And as he goes forward, roll for me, if you would, an observation check. Observation. Um, what happens if I have to roll more dice than I have in my hands? How is that even possible? What? Okay, um, <laughs> no, I, it's not the case, but I was just wondering, looking at a couple <laughs> of stats. Uh, I would say that you would roll and then... Um, Roll some more. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> it's just I could only afford There's so much. No, the no, Gothic no. Podcast could only <laughs> afford to send you so, so many dice. So, <laughs> um, that would be go buy more if you need them. <laughs> that would be four successes. Dang! Wow. Nice. Did I have any stress actually? Uh, that's another thing we should keep track of on our character sheets. Uh, seems too stressful. <laughs> <laughs> and ones don't count if I'm not. Using stress die? Right. Ones don't count if you're not using stress die. Right. I'm sending you a secret message, Jesse. Okay. Oh, secret message. Secret message. Secret Secret message. Agent man. Secret agent man. This is not the musical episode, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, guys, guess who I am? It's not the musical episode. (laughs) <laughs> oh wait what am i from minnesota now <laughs> oh don't you know it's not the musical episode the booth here? <laughs> <laughs> this is the musical booth episode hello hey, oh. wow who invited bullwinkle on the podcast <laughs> amazing okay so if i'm reading this right i succeeded plus i got three ones over so i can choose three of those questions because this is actually an opposed role you may not oh. have succeeded as much okay cool mm. Um, yeah, call that two over. Are more of them close by? What you see, Axel, as you are following these are, you pass by openings in the maintenance shaft. These go to either the main corridor, uh, where you originally came from, or they even go deeper into the shaft itself. Or really closer to the outer hull of the shaft, down as as things might be, and 
it's out of one of those, a dark space, that you see two red eyes looking out at you. And it is only because you are so acclimatized to being down here, able to almost see in the dark, that you recognize this as infrared goggles, even as a figure in black hazmat suit looking stuff, but not really hazmat. You've seen hazmat armor or hazmat gear, uh, but this is more like armor. Uh, it's, it's all black. It's got big plates on it. The, the joints look like they're heavily, not rubberized, but that they're covered in some sort of metallic-y looking flexible material. And the helmet is also black and mirrored, but the goggles themselves look eerie and a little scary just coming at you down the shaft. And this this person, which is what it is, can't stand up in the in this access shaft or the access shafts and is like crawling forward, but crawling forward like super fast. And he like lunges toward you and tries to grab you, but but uh, you are not surprised by this because you, as you were walking by, you saw those that glint of red, and then you immediately turned and spotted it. So let's steal some initiative cards here. Okay, and I just say draw. Okay, wow, one. Uh, so yeah, you get to act first. Okay, well then I'm just gonna like back up like a totally startled and just be like, who are you? What can I help you with? What can I help you with? Axel's so pure. Oh, my God. (laughs) Mostly just backing up right now and trying to persuade to talk to me. Uh, Go ahead. And then in that case, roll your manipulation. Nice. Okay. One success. He comes forward. He stops a few feet back, a meter or so back in the uh, tunnel. And all you see are the the glow of the of the infrared goggles, and a voice comes out of a speaker, and he says, "You can help me." No, wait. <clears throat> Sorry. I am your father. Oh dear God! Don't go there. You are in unauthorized space. What are you doing here? Some of my friends have gone missing, and I've. Followed some blood trails down here. Do you know what's going on? He comes closer. He comes out of the tunnel and can't stand up, but kind of is is hunched, sort of almost back on his haunches a little bit. And it looks like it's really pretty comfortable for him, or maybe not comfortable, but he's used to it. He's built pretty big. You can see the layers of that armor now. Strange stuff. and. The helmet is completely mirror-fronted, so it's all black, uh, but the infrared goggles are set into the glass of the front so that it, uh, it, it creates sort of an insectoid-like appearance. You also see that on his hip, on one side, is a very large uh, pistol of some sort, but with a, with a magazine on it that is bulkier than any you've seen before. Uh, On his back is another weapon, but it looks for all the world like a blunderbuss, 
but pretty high tech. A laser blunderbuss. He there, sitting on his haunches, turns his head one way, just slightly turns it the other, as if the eyes are examining you. And he says, You found blood? Well, right over here. And I direct him to where I'd seen the trails of blood and the handprint and everything. He looks at those. Then he looks at you. All right, kid, get out of here. But, but what about the errand, sir? I'm really concerned. He looks at you again for a long time. Your friend's probably dead. Why? What's going on? I want to break away from Axel and this strange insectoid fellow for a moment. Maisie. Yes? Who are you talking to? (laughs) Oh, myself, dearie. (laughs) The voice is in your head. (laughs) What are you doing? Uh, well, after, after I finished, uh, eating at the refectory, which I think was the last thing I was doing, uh, I would have left and, uh, on the way out, just like very kind of sneakily as I shuffled my way across the floor, uh, scavenged anything that looked like it might keep for a couple days off of other people's tables (laughs) and, um, and gone out, uh, gone out scavenging. I think that Maisie is very interested in these, uh, corridors that are not used, and uh, the lit ones are fairly picked over. Before you get that far, you may see something. Uh, Jules, are you being stealthy as you head off to investigate what it is that you have seen on your screens? Jules would be stealthy in her own way. It's less sneaking around uh, and and more of a cat burglar sense, and more of the fact that she is just good at going uh, you know, quietly unnoticed when she when she wants to be. So, you know, she just kind of zips around and, and pads from place to place. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, she's going to be unnoticed as much as possible. Well, Maisie's got a bullshit meter a mile wide, so I think I would probably notice <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, this is an opposed role. It is mobility for Jules versus observation for Maisie. Oh, four sixes. Uh, well. Yeah, I thought I was doing pretty good to roll one there. (laughs) Maisie, as you go out with the thought of uh, perhaps going down into the old section of the station where people aren't really supposed to be living or, you know, going to very much, but where you know that in the East Ring there are all these old labs and that there's plenty of good finds out there to be had for someone willing to put in a little bit of elbow grease to uh, make it happen. But then you spot Jules. Jules is just sort of moving through the crowd like Jules does, but strangely, not the direction Jules normally goes after work, but rather in the same direction you were headed. Mm. Well, Axel went off in a hurry after speaking to Jules, and now Jules is running off in a hurry, and... I don't have anything better to do. I'll go follow her. So you indicated the last time we encountered Maisie that uh, she moves along at an elderly pace. Oh, when it's convenient. It's uh, it's it's extremely, extremely convenient when you're trying to, for example, pick someone's pocket to uh, have convenient trouble going up the stairs so that they come over and uh, assist you. As a random, non-specific example. <laughs> Jules. You're headed toward the dark passages, as the kids call them. Do you have uh, any gear with you, or was it was that a stationary terminal that you were using? That was stationary. I do have something with me, but um, 
For Maisie, who is watching, Jules is carrying uh, like a small basket. It's kind of a shallow basket. Uh, it has uh, cloth wrapped over the top, like somebody might be carrying some baked goods or uh, like little bread baskets. That's what you see that she has in, in her hand at the moment. There may or may not be other things in there, uh, but the smell of freshly baked brownies waft from the top of the basket. Maisie, with her big, awkward, somewhat tatter-looking uh, carpet bag, uh, knows exactly the kind of useful things you can carry in a convenient little old lady-looking basket. Maisie, are you going to try to pursue Jules secretly, or are you going to actively go up and encounter? Uh, no, I'm not looking for a confrontation here. I just want to see what all the fuss is about, uh, in case there's something valuable that's been found down in the east uh, hallways. Then we get to go the other direction. And Jules gets to Ooh. see if she notices you following her. So now I'm doing mobility? So now Maisie will do mobility and Jules will do observation. Whoa. <laughs> Almost <laughs> so many dice. I, I know this. last time one went like way over there. Uh, I, t- I got a one success this time. Uh, I got just two, but That's uh, enough. two is all I yeah. needed. So Jules, you notice Maisie. Maisie. <laughs> uh, Jules is just going to do the obvious thing, like she meant to turn around and kind of notice Maisie. Like, hello! <laughs> oh, oh dear, fancy my... meeting you here. Yes, oh, it is my dear friend, My good friend. <laughs> I was just... I was just going to find some of the children. I was just they like to play down these hallways. Spontaneously walking brownies. in this direction for no reason whatsoever. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. Of course, I'm quite sure. Why don't you join me? I would love to love to just chat and find out what's going on in Maisie's world. I'm sure it's exhilarating. Oh, not so much these days, dear. And I'll, I'll uh, take her elbow and lean on her and kind of shuffle in a way that uh, I was not when I was trying to sneak and follow her. <laughs> I do know that the children love you, so so come along, come oh, along. Oh, yes, the little darlings. Yes. Someday when they're older, they'll grow some taste, but until then, brownies oh. and maize you'll have to do for them. Bless your heart. I love the salty old ladies. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I love the salty old ladies, like, talking to each other. <laughs> yes, please. Okay. <laughs> uh, this week on the Golden Alien Girls. <laughs> As you walk, you are passing through the most populated sections of all of Wednesday Station. The North Ring is where all of the docking happens for visiting ships. It's where all of the public spaces are, uh, the various restaurants and bars and commissaries and stores. It's where the more expensive of the rooms are, uh, the ones that uh, it's a little bit harder just to claim them uh, without ever being kicked out of them by station security. And uh, this is in part because uh, being the North Ring, the south-facing windows have an excellent view down onto the uh, top of the of the station where the domes are for the various fields and arboriums and such, and also looks down even further uh, onto the gas giant itself. And so it's, it's got pretty good real estate here. You are passing through the most populated and active parts of the entire station. 
There are people in the hallways chatting, showing um, off goods to one another that they've just acquired, perhaps off, uh, off station or on. Friends seeing one another for the first time in a, in a few cycles. There are shops that, uh, some of which extend out into the corridor itself uh, with displays and such, some that are in their own spaces. And uh, it is through all of this activity that you talk as you walk. Um, I'm going to let Maisie decide at what point she picks up on this or uh, when it becomes obvious. So while although we're in the uh, populated sections now, that's not where Jules is headed. Jules, Jules knows where she's going, but isn't necessarily making that obvious. Instead, she's just kind of uh, you know meandering somewhere while she continues that, that banter. She's like, you know... Some of the children are so shy. I want to go make sure that they get the get some of these brownies. It's always the the eager beavers, so to speak, who come get them first. And uh, I'm, there are some who miss mm. out. And I, I don't like yes, that. Yes, indeed. Children, of course, as you know, are opportunistic little darlings, and um, will come first come first serve, as it were. Such as their rules, and that's what they follow. Oh yes, they're so. Inventive. It's it's it, you know sometimes they even get into trouble. It's 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 just better if <gasps> trouble it's just better if they have constructive ways Never. to uh, to fill the time. Like some some wonderful brownies. You know how hard it is to find sugar these days. That'll keep them occupied for about three seconds. I mean, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, well, they sure seemed in a tizzy today in the in the refectory. Really excited about oh. something. I don't know if you witnessed that. Oh, I'm so busy while I'm in the kitchen. I, I barely have time to notice anything. So many comings and, and oh, goings. Oh, please, Jules. I'm, I'm... Don't pretend you don't notice everyone who walks into your refectory. Hmm. I mean, I see uh, so many people over the course of a day. It's just, I can't help it that I'm popular and that people love to come and see me. <laughs> As you know, the old adage goes, the fastest way to someone's heart is through their stomach. Yeah, certainly, if you're stabbing them. So I've heard. Oh, I think technically then it would be the back, but... Oh, yes, oh, actually. Just, just things I've heard, just things I've heard. <laughs> I bet you could fill a big book with uh, everything that you hear in there. Oh, I wouldn't say that. Cookbooks are really more my my speed. Uh, <laughs> yes. I leave the gossip Cauldrons, to you. gingerbread cottages, right? A cauldron? Oh, my goodness. That sounds so... Well, quite... So Really devious. heavy. Hard to get into orbit. It's probably why you don't see them anymore. We just call them stockpots. Oh, yes. I've heard of those. You have now moved out of the primary crowds and are headed down the uh, central north passage toward the core of the space station, the huge central bulk of the station that provides the power, that provides the, the steam, the water, the food, everything for the station. And it is quieter this way, although there is still plenty of activity. But these corridors are narrower, perhaps 15 feet wide, but crammed with open ductwork and piping and electrical conduits and such that are just exposed on the ceiling and the walls. And uh, the, the people here are talking a little quieter just because that's just the nature of the spokes, because all the spokes are kind of spooky in a way. Sp- they they are all a little bit dimmer. They're spooky. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
they're a little bit dimmer. Uh, they they are a little bit more industrial than the rings, uh, which tend to be a little bit cleaner, a little bit more pristine utilitarian uh, style, but lots more white surfaces. Here, there's more dust in the corners. There's more uh, shadowy areas. There's more places that uh, open into darker spaces. There's also the rumble of the machinery that is driven in the center of, of the main bulk of the space station that keeps the rings turning. And that vibration is here in the, uh, in the central spoke. Now, you also pass by the, and I mention this for no particular reason, uh, you pass by the uh, couplings, massive couplings, that are designed to uh, be able to be blown if any of the experiments, for instance, happen to go wrong. I'm sure nothing like that will happen. Nothing like that has happened, but uh, they took that into account. And so you have these giant explosive rings <laughs> that nobody really advertises, but that exist. Uh, it'll be fine. <laughs> As you proceed down this corridor, you also see some of the pets of Wednesday Station. Uh, a couple of cats dart after one another from access tunnel to access tunnel. A uh, woman uh, walks by holding a genetically modified dog that is done in multiple colors. Is it like the dog from the original Star Trek, the one with the unicorn horn? And it was like, look at this weird alien. And it's just like a Pomeranian with a unicorn horn. <laughs> it absolutely is now. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that thing. And don't forget, it's hypoallergenic. Oh, perfect. Yeah. If you order now, you get a free collar <laughs> engraved with your pet's name. With no down payment, no interest. <laughs> uh, so let's return to Axel. Okay. As you are looking past this guy now, down toward the darker area where the bloodstains were sort of leading you, there's just a, a brief sparking of electrical connectors down there a frying of wires, a shower of sparks. And in that moment, you see something just as black, just as mirrored, just as alien-looking as this fellow, except what you see is not human. Oh. Roll on the panic table. Oh, Oh, no. Oh, dear. It's going down. I'm yelling timber. 1d6 plus the stress, isn't it? Yeah, d6 plus stress. It's a d6 plus stress. I think I know what you're saying. And then send me that secretly. Okay. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Hold on just a second. So what do you do based on what I have just told you? We, We should get out of here right away, mister. Come, I know the way out. And I try to lead him. Are you sure this is your costume accent? <laughs> no, I'm horrible at that. <laughs> I mix up the English accents all the time. This, uh, so start it's in your head. Right. Oh, we start with what, governor? <laughs> Oi. 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 In it. I think we should get out of here right away. I think it's coming for us. And start, like, leading out and trying to persuade. Now, what you saw there was... A motion. You saw that, and you saw it just in that glimpse of electrical flashing. Uh, it was moving, but you're not sure what direction it was Ugh. moving. 
Was it moving toward you? Was it going across the the hall? Was it going away? It was just so unexpected to see this thing that you are trying to... Are you tugging at his arm or anything? Uh, Yeah. Um, I would, like, grab his coat sleeve and, like, start trying to lead down the corridor away. What do you mean, kid? Really, sir? We must be going. And and I start to, like, walk away um, if he's not going to, like, lean into my poles. He looks around. He turns his head and looks down the corridor. Now that there's no light down there, he's probably still able to see whatever's down there with the goggles. But he he doesn't tense up or anything. Instead, he turns back to you and goes, What'd you see, kid? And there's something a little darker in his voice. You've seen it before then, too. And I turn and start walking down the corridor. I told you to get out of here. And then he lunges for you to grab you. Mm. Okay, I will take my dodge action, just slipping out of his grasp and just moving away. Well, if he was rolling stress die, he would have been screwed. No successes as he attempts to grab you. Okay, and I roll an opposing mobility. He didn't roll any successes, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Two successes. So you slip out of his grasp. I'm just putting in two initiative cards for no reason whatsoever. There's no possible Mm -hmm. reason for this. Okay. You slip out of his grasp. What are you going to do? Retreat. I will take a fast action. I will take a second fast action to retreat and move away. So you're running away. Run away! Run away! Run away! away! He unlimbers that uh, blunderbuss-looking thing you see as you glance over your shoulder. His red eye lights glaring at you as he crouches down, the blunderbuss uh, braced against his shoulder, pointed straight at you. He's backlit by sparking uh, lights and flickering fluorescence. You see him pull the trigger and fire. There's a sound, a kothoop, as of compressed air uh, being expelled. And then something is coming fast at you down the corridor. And what he has fired is a weighted net that wraps around you. Called it. And trips you up. And then it starts binding in on itself, compressing, tightening up. And even as that drops you to the ground, you see that uh, behind him, something looms. And then it attacks. Oh, dear. Not that one. We could have played Mothership, but no, I wanted to buy the Alien RPG. (laughs) (laughs) This is interesting. Didn't expect that to happen. (laughs) The creature, you see it rise up behind the insectoid man, and then you see it tear itself apart, and greenish blood sprays all over the man who just fired a net at you. And there is a sizzling, burning sound and a smell of melting plastics and burning steel. And the guy turns or he tries to turn, but this thing just sort of falls on him. And it's just like writhing around. There's a tail, there's a claw, there's a head that's like torpedoes. There's just all of this stuff happening, and it's happening so fast. And in that strobing light down the corridor, I need you to make another panic roll. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll say. (laughs) 
and send me the results. Okay. You are just struggling inside of your your net now, uh, quite grappled by this thing. It's pretty good steel cabling. Uh, this thing is not designed to capture the dogs or cats that roam around the station. This thing is designed for bigger prey, and you suspect you might know what that prey is, but it's definitely also caught you in its tangles. But even as you're struggling in that, down the corridor is this screeching, this hissing screech of this thing dying as it continues to tear at itself with its claws, with its tail. Just a a lashing around of parts and motion. What do you do? I almost go into a, like that, thousand-yard stare. Just like looking, intending to look away, but just watching. And I will pull my knife as best I can, try to wedge around a corner of this webbing to see if I can work myself out. As you're doing that, you also hear some voices outside in the corridor coming toward you. Uh, sounds like two <laughs> old women kind of bickering at one another. What? As they come. what a weird juxtaposition. <laughs> can you imagine? Run! 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 I mean, I understand you don't understand the intricacies of... Wait. Jules, the, you know, chemistry of sugar Jules, because, well, for once in your you life, don't know shut about your mouth and listen to what's happening. Run! Run! Oh, dear. Well, that, that does sound rather, rather urgent. We should check on that, don't you think? <laughs> oh, indeed, my dear. Axel, this thing is compressing in on you. Uh, so uh, the, the, the knife isn't going to be able to cut through the, the steel webbing of this net. Oh, bollocks. <laughs> Is that cockney enough for you, Patrick? (laughs) I asked for it, I suppose. (laughs) It already did, sir. I'll say that right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so much editing. Okay. Okay. Um, Oh, shit. It's not doing anything. Unless you have some weird, like, vibro knife or laser knife or something, it's not going to cut through, you know, steel mesh. No, if it's just a regular knife, uh, I have nothing else. You also take one point of damage. Uh, Maisie? Yes. And Jules, by the sound of the voice yelling run, you can uh, hone in on the access, the access panel closest to uh, where the voice is coming from. That panel is closed. Now, the way those work is uh, usually, this is going to be one of three things. It's going to be open, which this one isn't. There's going to be a handprint lock, or there's going to be four bolts that have to be removed in order to access the panel. This one is the latter. Four bolts. Okay. How do the bolts work? Are they like like dead bolts or locked in? Can you move them? Eat? Like, what, are they, what do they look like? The bolts are a little rusted. But they are pretty large and exposed. Okay. They're, I mean, like they're all, they're outset, not inset. So it should be able to. We should be able to do something to them. So we have to get some bolts out of the way here. Mm-hmm. Yes, Jules. What are you waiting for? Oh goodness. Uh, maybe an observation roll to see if we could find anything to help us with these bolts. Or let me move away from you for a second. Okay, Axel. There is an access panel right next to you. It appears to be one of those types that's bolted from the other side. 
not easily gone through, but that's you hear the voices just outside of that. Do you do anything? Well, yeah. Whether imagination or reality, you feel you hear scurrying, clicking, scratching sounds further down the access tunnel you're in toward the ringward side, the direction where uh, the thing has now stopped screeching and mostly stopped thrashing, although it still twitches. (sighs) Underneath it is the figure in black, and they have not stopped screaming, but much of that is muffled by their armor because the external speakers on the armor seem to have uh, been fried. From what you can see, it appears that he's still melting. Gross. This grate, does it have, like, screw types on it? Not on your side. You you know that they would be on the outside, where the voices are, which you really can identify as uh, Maisie and Jules. Okay. Although why they would be here, you have no idea. Right? Freaks? (laughs) No. (laughs) Oh, dear, you have no idea. (laughs) Jules. Jules. I think that door is addressing you. Maisie, Jules, right here. Open it up, please. I need to get out. Yes, yes, open the door if you can, sweetie. He's ask he's asking us to open the door. The great. The great. He says we're great. <laughs> mm, yes. I have a grater back in the kitchen. And I and I start like slamming into it a couple of punches at first and then if I need to like start kicking at it. Yeah, your feet are really in a position better served to to do that. So kick away. Nothing. No successes, no losses. Could we try to find something to start to pry or press the the bolts out? Yeah, so Jules was wanting to do that too. Uh, go ahead, Jules, and uh, go ahead and roll that observation. All right. Um... Ooh, look at all those. Three successes. Keepers. Nice. Jules is going to show you up, Maisie. Uh, so, yeah, you're not going to find a wrench. But uh, you you do find something. What do you what do you find? It's not a wrench exactly, but there is a a piece of jagged metal that's been uh, broken off, half rusted. Uh, but the way it broke, there's enough of a corner. Jules thinks she might be able to get that in there and and pry with it a little bit, as though it were a wrench. See if it might work. Give just enough leverage to get the get it loose. It's going to take both of you <laughs> because it's so awkward. You're going to have to work together. Oh goodness gracious! <laughs> You say that about everything. This gets worse and worse. Terrible. Just terrible. I'll take this end here. Between the two of you, you start getting the bolts to loosen. Meanwhile, Axel, take another point of damage as the net continues squeezing, squeezing, squeezing. Sometime today might be helpful. Well, if you don't like it, Axel, you can get out here and free yourself. Another bolt comes undone. Actually, it may be possible, whereas uh, brute strength and the knife hasn't worked, you might be able to somehow wriggle out of this net. Uh, would you like to try to use agility? Straight agility. Mobility makes sense. Two successes. It, it's tough because it's squeezing in on you, but as it squeezes, you realize that the pressure is actually coming from one side more than the other. at the cost of another point of damage, <laughs> you are able to kind of push yourself 
out of it as if you were sausage innards being squeezed out of the casing of the sausage. Oh, dear Lord. Like like a hot dog in the microwave? You kind of like that, okay, yeah. Okay, I guess I'm taking that extra damage then. <laughs> <laughs> Ow. All right, that's rough. Okay, and I come flopping through. You're able to squeeze and wriggle and be squished out by the netting itself out of the out of that web work as it continues to tie in on itself mechanically. But you do get out wounds, bleeding everywhere, scrapes, and torn clothing and skin. But that means I'm in the middle of the oh, service thing, yeah. Yeah, you're still in the access uh, tunnel. Uh, even as you hear the last bolt come free on the access panel that is right by you, and it falls away uh, with a clang. I'm assuming that the little old ladies aren't going to try to catch a big, heavy access panel. Oh, goodness, no. Is the web between me and the panel, though? No, now the web is doing its own writhing on the um, on the floor of the access tunnel. As soon as that comes free, I'm getting through. You fall through the hatchway and out into the main corridor, and you flop heavily to the floor of that corridor. And you stare up at Maisie and Jules. Well, hello, Axel. Would you care for a brownie? Axel, you little weasel. What have you got up to this time? Um, both of you, please roll observation. <laughs> they one. went oh, everywhere. I also got a one. You both hear a screaming, low, but definitely a screaming from inside the access tunnel past the hatch that you have just opened. Also, a sizzling and the smell of burned flesh. Cooking flesh. What? What in the black speckly sky is that? She takes a good step and she's like, Oh dear, I, I, I think maybe it's best if we, we move along. Come on, Axel, let's, let's head back down to, to, to... Anywhere, the station. anywhere yes, other than go. right here. With haste. With haste. Well, that's danger Maybe. here. Uh, is there any way we can seal this off? Do you want to put four bolts back in here? Actually, you're young and strong. You could hold it up while we put the four bolts. Do you have a wrench? <laughs> you were able to get the things loose and you bashed on them to knock the rust off. And then you were able to twist them using the you know, the awkward edges of this thing. But the best you could do is you could put them back up there and maybe kind of like hand tighten the bolts on. <laughs> But it's not going to be, like, really super mm. sturdy or anything. I think we need to call the security. There's a larger problem there that we can not deal with ourselves. As you're helping Axel up, you notice that his clothes are just shredded, and his skin is also broken in several places, uh, torn. Are you b- born in a barn? Didn't your parents teach you not to play in access tunnels? I start dusting him off. Aggressively. As you're dusting him off, your hand comes away wet. You hold it up, realizing that it's probably blood. But as you hold it up to your face, you see that that blood is white. And everybody takes a stress point from realizing that they're in the presence of an android. Does the android take a stress point? (laughs) No. (laughs) I don't think Maisie makes a noise. I think she just stares at him suspiciously. We will cut away at that point to Trakai. Planet of Doom. Dun, dun, dun. Our expeditionary scientific force has brought down a few of 
the strange alien mushroom frond creatures with their claws and their bitey proboscisai and captured one of them alive. The others seem to have swarmed away from the group, leaving just the scientists and a few marines, where two of the remaining marines are quite injured, one having been kneecapped by one of these creatures and the other one uh, being plowed into the groin by one of them in a, a headbutt charge of sorts. What's happening here in this bloody battleground on planet Trakai? Uh, Ray wants to go medically aid Markham with his kneecap situation. You move over to Markham and uh, begin working on stabilizing his, his knees. He's not going to be able to walk for a while. Oh, that's okay. That's why I lift, man. I'll carry you. Can't you just, like, shoot me up with something and, and like, yeah, give me some morphine or some, I don't know, some good drugs or something? Okay, so, Markham, here's the thing. I could give you a dose of pain relief, and I probably will, but that doesn't mean you should be walking on this knee. So you're still going to be carried. Uh, uh, can't you shoot me up with the painkillers and then knock me out? I don't... I don't want to be carried like so. I mean, if you knock, if I knock you out, you'll just be carried, and you'll be like limply hanging from my arms. So if that's better for you, then uh, then I could do that. But I think you'd prefer to be awake, man. Damn it! Whatever you got to do, man. Whatever you got to do. Yeah, sure. I'll give him. I have uh, several doses of nap relieve. Yeah, I'll give him the painkiller. But uh, yeah, he's he's not. I'm I'm not gonna let him walk oh, out of yeah, there. Yeah, that's good. Hey, you don't have to make this weird if I don't. Uh, Dr. Laura, what are you doing? Is there some kind of, think of like just a flatbed cart to call from the ship to bring out to this location to collect people and or specimens? Uh, you could call for a shuttle. I will call for a shuttle using my contact devices. I mean, it's, you know, pricey gas-wise, but uh, oh. there is a shuttle back at the back of the camp, and it's also something you'd want to clear with. The lead scientist. And Dr. Wick is here with us, right? Right. Okay. Dr. Wick, um, would it be conducive to bring a shuttle to this location to collect up our friends as well as some specimens? Yes, I don't see how we can get these specimens back before they start decaying. The one that is alive still, we might be able to, but... Uh, it will struggle on the way back to. We need the proper gear. We didn't bring anything for this sort of. Um, I was expecting worms. We can order a specific med kit to be sent with the shuttle, as well as uh, container jars for the specimens. Well, think of it this way, Docs. Uh, there's life on this planet, and I mean, like, not like microorganisms, like interesting big things that collect in groups. Ray, Ray, Ray. While very interesting, I must say that it also poses a more serious threat to us. Dr. Wick starts to put his hand out to put his uh, hand on Dr. Laura's shoulder, and then he pulls back at the last moment, remembering that he doesn't like to touch people. (laughs) (laughs) It's not not out of professional courtesy. It's just that his own personal ick factor. (laughs) Oh, God, I'm touching someone. Oh, gross. Ew. Ew. And he says, uh, Dr. Angels, I did not 
think that I would ever say these words, but the Marine is right. This is unprecedented. This is extraordinarily good. We need these specimens. Uh, we need them. We need them badly. And we need them in good shape. So, yes, you. And he looks at and, and then points at uh, Wild Bill. Summon the shuttle from the camp. <laughs> I cast summon shuttle. <laughs> At yeah, level like, three. Uh, <laughs> that means I get a, one extra shuttle for each level above the first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, okay, okay, man. Uh, yeah, Doc, okay, I'll get right on that. Uh, at, at which point, Wild Bill pulls out uh, a little transmitter of some sort. He's like, uh, Command, this is uh, Expeditionary Force. Uh, we ran into some hostiles. We're going to need transport. We have casualties. Oh, whoa, whoa, but, like, they don't need to bring any weapons or big anything like that. I mean, hostile sounds like we haven't handled the situation, which we definitely have. Weapons. Weapons are good. Bring weapons. No, what, Doc, what are you talking about? We got it Dr. Laura Angels is still holding her, like, pistol, like, (laughs) freaking Charlie's Angel style, is just holding that thing, looking around, and making sure that none of those things are coming flying at us again. Hey, Laura, that's, that's great. <laughs> Elaborate. Uh, yeah, like, what was that command? Like, uh, he's like, you know, smacking on the transmitter, trying to, to get it to work better. Uh, is that an affirmative on the transport command? Hey, give me a com tech. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I have three dice on that. <laughs> and uh, here is, here's my roll. Oh, wow. Nice. nice. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty stellar right there. That is a really good roll. All right, so you get to slightly higher ground and you make some adjustments to the uh to the the transmitter and then it becomes uh slightly uh clearer. Yeah, expeditionary force we're receiving a lot of interference. Um do come again? Yeah, we uh, had some interference ourselves encountered hostiles. We need transport. We have wounded <laughs> Okay. The shuttle will be released. Uh, expect to pick up in ten. Yeah, uh, that's affirmative. Uh, command will uh, will be ready to bug out. Actually, bug out to bad. Never mind. Uh, Expeditionary force out. Base camp out. All right, man. Like. Yeah, you know, Wild Bill ahead to the back of the others. Okay, man, like they're sitting in the shuttle, I think, man. So uh everybody hang on hang tight and we'll just we'll be out of here in no time. Dr. Laura still just kinda like looking into the sky. How long do they say they would be? Yeah, I'm pretty certain they said ten minutes, but uh comms are a little fuzzy right now. Uh and yes, indeed. It's more like fifteen or twenty. Does anybody tend to Denver? In this time? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't have any more painkiller, but <laughs> I'll hold his hand and help him ride it out. <laughs> hey, take my kit. Well, give me some painkiller. I just got my groin right here. I'm not going to have kids no more or nothing. Hey, bro. Ray, Ray. Yeah. Will you yeah, please oh. take my kit? It might help him. I will keep an eye to this guy. Yeah, you're doing a real good job, Dr. Laura. But remember what we talked about, uh, trigger discipline. Make sure your finger's not on that. Does your med kit have painkiller in it? Cause I it's feel- it's just a regular personal med kit, so it's not like too extensive, yeah. but it might help. I have a personal med kit too, but 
the painkillers are like a separate item from they that. They are. You're able to apply some cold compresses, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, snap the bags open, and then there's there's ones that become hotter, there's ones that become colder, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and so you have Denver apply this, examining the <clears throat> injured area. Uh, he's not going to be walking very much for a while either. So calling in the shuttle is probably a pretty good idea. Oh, cool. Do we have stress right now? Everybody has at least one from the uh, encounter with the alien flyers. My medic talent is calming presence. Uh, Once per turn, I can reduce the stress level of another character within short range by one. We just have to be in a relatively safe place, which I feel like we are. Oh, it doesn't work on me, though, but everyone else can uh, detract a stress. I, f- I figure it's kind of what Ray's been doing with his little comments and, you know, reminding Laura to think about her trigger discipline and, you know, getting people's minds off of the fern things and stuff like that. So that's where I was kind of headed with those comments. But um, you're getting everybody calmed down by just being calm and, and getting everything sorted. Yeah, we should bring an artist out here next time and see if we can get them to paint a picture of one of those. Did you see the way the light shone through their fronds or whatever when they like were uh wheeling in the air if we could get them like in a peaceful mood like there could be some really cool like sunset uh images or paintings or something i mean like what kind of painting are you talking about man like like a watercolor or just like some sketches because i don't know they i kind of see watercolors but i'm no artist man i'm just yeah i don't know i think you know oils might be a little long i think they take like a really long time didn't they say like da vinci care around mona lisa for like i don't know 10 years or whatever not 10 years I don't know. They don't teach Da Vinci and Mona Lisa at the academy, but like you know, man, I don't know. I, uh, is that the dude that made like the the fuzzy swirly things? I like those. Oh, that dude could do like some really cool fuzzy swirly things here. What if he was here right now painting fuzzy swirly things of these green things? I mean, that'd be kind of cool. But is uh, you know um, the guy with the stars? You know, yeah, the no, uh, stars? the star guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy was cool. I like that guy. Laura's just shaking her head. Oh, come on, Laura. Don't tell me you're not into impressionism. I, I There's a guy in my last platoon. He did some great impressions. Like a bunch of comedians, a bunch of movie stars. Okay, but did he do Kermit the Frog? Because that's the only one I care about. Uh, uh, the, I don't know if he did any frog voices, but he did a lot of impressions. He's pretty good at it. I like that guy. In the time that it takes for the shuttle to arrive... Uh, you uh, are able to kind of relieve the general level of tension around. And so while Bill and Dr. Laura, you can remove one stress die from your stress pool. If anybody had more than one stress, Wild Bill's banter trait uh, allows that to increase to two stress can be relieved. Oh, well, that'll work for me because I can't relieve stress on myself. So I would appreciate it. And you were not very uh, communicative with Dr. Laura. You were bantering with my friend Ray. There is a, a glint of light first as uh, sunlight reflects off of the hull of the shuttle. And then there is the great whoosh. As the shuttle comes in for a landing, not right where you are, but a little ways away, a cloud of reddish dust kicked up underneath it. The landing struts down, compressing some as the weight of the rest of the ship settles down upon them. And then at the back, a ramp drops down and a couple more 
Marines come out and come over. Their uniforms identify them as crisp and feather. Crisp and feather. Do they have ranking mark markations? Both are ensigns. <laughs> There'd be a lieutenant piloting, probably. Yeah, Ensign Crisp here. Um, you all order a shuttle? Need a ride? You know it. Only if we get the convertible top down. Hey. Oh, man. What happened here? Holy. Yo, dudes. Registers the creatures. We found life. Yeah, it's a bit messed up, but uh, as you can see, uh, Markham over here, he took kind of the worst of it in Denver. He's in bad shape, man. So, like, let's just get him out of here. We need some containers. Oh, uh, yeah, man. Sure enough. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll help with these guys. Um, um, then we'll come back and we'll help with the uh, with these other things. All right, well, we'll load them up. Cool. I'll lift uh, uh, Mark. I would. Dr. Laura's staying with the creatures until we get the right uh, containment units for them. If by right containment units you mean webbing to hold them into the cargo area, then sure. <laughs> Glass containers, metal crates, anything will work. Yeah, uh, Doc, uh, yeah, I'm sure we could find something. Just bring it out so we can get to work. Uh, yeah, we're just going to have to haul them <clears> on board. <throat> I was, I was kind of just, I don't know, I was, I was just kind of hoping you'd let that ride. Because <laughs> we got some webbing we can tie them up in. And um, I mean, there might be a, a crate. Uh, we'd have to dump out the weapons, though. I don't think the uh, LT is going to like that too Dr. much. Dr. Laura throws up her hands and is just like, Dear Lord, do I have to do everything around here? And I just grab one of the creatures and start dragging it towards the shuttle. <laughs> <laughs> the Marine watches you for a little bit and then turns to nobody in particular and says, Well, I, I was going to help carry it in. <laughs> Wild Bill just gives this, you know, big shoulder shrug, shakes his head like, I don't know, man. And loading up onto the shuttle. Yep. Are, so is this heading back to the Wapiti? Uh, the Wapiti's in orbit, right? We'd be going back to whatever kind of base. The base, okay. The shuttle would be going, well, came from the camp, your your base camp, and presumably would go back there. It will, it will take a lot of fuel to go to the Wapiti, and that would have to be cleared by the commander of the Marines, plus uh, Jin. the doc here. Commander Jin, right? Yes, Jin Kaja. So you get loaded, <laughs> such We're as it so is, loaded, man. Onto, onto the shuttle. The wounded are uh, placed in some of the sleeping cots that are in the rough residential portion of the shuttle. It's a pretty large shuttle uh, and uh, was able to carry down a great deal of equipment initially, but most of that equipment being now back at the at the base. And then they get the bodies of the creatures settled in. I believe there's uh, probably three of them. One of them is alive, and the alive one is causing them uh, all sorts of problems. For one, it's it doesn't look like it wants to stay alive uh, because it's 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 bleeding pretty pretty good, but also because it uh, doesn't seem to want to be captured either. Anyway, uh, they get it secured with some ropes and such, and they get the others done up in in webbing that is then tied down to various parts in the cargo area of the shuttle, and then the um, LT up in the pilot's chair clears everything and. 
you begin to take off. It is at that point that the live mushroom wing creature seems to go just quite mad. And it thrashes around crazily, uh, snapping its bonds even until it is loose in the back. And then there are Marines yelling. The, the two injured ones, Markham and Denver, are like, well, Denver is yelling his head off because Markham's still out, quite, <laughs> quite out from the kill medications. It, kill it! Kill it! And so, what do you do? Right. Sounds like we've flipped for initiative. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Ray, as usual, is <laughs> going to react first. That medical training taking over. What I would like to do is take uh, either something like a tarp or maybe my like uniform jacket and like throw it over this thing and try and catch it underneath something. Or maybe like a blanket, like an, like a, an emergency like shock blanket, anything that's like a little bit heavy and like fairly big and uh, throw it over this thing and just trap it under something. So you'll need to do a close combat. And then if you get a stunt, you'll be able to. Oh, I see. Oh, oh, okay. Close combat. I'm so great at that. I got one success. You aren't able to get it wound up in the, in the sheet. Mm -hmm. You throw the sheet over it and, and, and give it a try, but it's still thrashing around under it. You haven't got it tied down or anything. I'm not going to give it any damage because you're not yeah. using anything there that's going to be really damaging. Yeah. In, you know, no, provoking. I'm not trying to damage it. I'm trying to trap it again. So then it's going to be Dr. Laura. Ooh. I almost imagine that Dr. Laura had not put her sidearm away. My father always taught me to be sure to... Breathe out before you pull the trigger. So that would be aiming, uh, plus two dice, but it is a fast action. Okay. Um, what's the range? Uh, it's going to be short. Uh, one success. It does still have its natural armor, so one success. The shot uh, goes wild, and uh, there's a... What kind of weapon is this? Uh, this is just the service pistol, the M4A3. Uh, one damage. So there's a bit of ricocheting happens around the around the cabin, and the Marines start yelling about not shooting at them. <laughs> right, right, the hole. Well, Bill, what do you do? Um, the shooting thing doesn't seem to work so well. I mean, you know, if we hit, maybe it work really well, but the the bounce around thing seems to be very bad. So while Bill doesn't like that at all, the grapples thing seems to work a little better. So while Bill is also going to try to, I don't know if leap is the right word, but he's definitely going to uh, kind of reach out and grab this thing and see if he can't pull it back down to the floor of the the shuttle that we're in. Uh, two successes. You feel it underneath you, Wild Bill. You feel it struggling, and you, you know you, I mean, you just leaped on it, and you were trying to pin it down, but it's like writhing around under you. But then it stops. You're just sort of laying on top of it, and there it's covered by a you know one of those rough woolen things that the Marines claim is warm and isn't. And Ray is kind of there trying to still get it wrapped around the creature, but it stops jerking for a moment, and then you, Wild Bill, hear kind of a grumbling. Then there is a popping shredding sound. 
as the cover rips open from underneath, along with apparently much of the stomach of this mushroom winged thing that no longer has wings, and something small and kind of mushroom-headed, but with lots of teeth, bursts out from the cover right in front of you, right in front of your face, Wild Bill. (laughs) And it stares at you for a second with an eyeless, flattened-y torpedo mushroom head, opens its mouth with a lot of different teeth in it, and then scuttles off deeper into the shuttle toward the pilot's cabin (laughs) of the shuttle. And there's people yelling and screaming, and everybody takes, unless you're an android, take a level of stress. I don't know if there's any possible way that I could grab like a like a glass jar container and just try and slide like it over that thing it before it, it escapes. <sighs> you know, you can't at the moment because we're going to find out what next happens time. <laughs> next time on the Gothic on Podcast. The Gothic <laughs> Of course, it's always next time. (laughs) Ooh, Patrick, it's always next time. Why? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, crikey. The Gothic Podcast is a humor and horror actual play podcast produced by C. Patrick Nagel, starring C. Patrick Nagel, Sharon Gallery Lafournaise, Jesse Baldwin, and Richard Southerd. Season 3 of the Gothic Podcast uses rules from the Alien RPG, produced by Free League Publishing and Monster of the Week, written by Michael Sands and published by Evil Hat Productions. Theme music is by Zoe Hovland and original artwork by Jared George Art. If you enjoy the Gothic Podcast, please like, rate, and review us on iTunes. Visit our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram feeds, and check out our Patreon page. Thanks! Maisie, Jules, and Alex, respectively. Isn't it Axel? Axel. <laughs> Dag frickin' nabbit. It's written right there on the screen. Come on. I quit. <laughs> We're free. We're free, you guys. That guy's been holding us back anyway. All right, let's go. Think, we got of, this. think of LJ with his axe. Oh. Oh, oh, I get it. Oh, oh I didn't get it before. <laughs>